Well, let's turn, if you will, to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 and uh, part 4 of our study in Daniel 7. We will, with all of God's help, conclude the chapter. Um, It's been, again, a, um, a very important chapter in the sense of prophetic issues because uh, Daniel now receives a dream at the beginning of the chapter. He receives a dream that coincides with a dream that uh, was given to Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter 2. But whereas Nebuchadnezzar actually showed us uh, uh, the kingdoms from the perspective of man, Daniel receives a vision from God from, from the Lord's perspective. Whereas Daniel saw the kingdoms in, 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 in some semblance of, of, uh, of excellence in that uh, the head of gold was, or the head was gold, the, 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 uh, the, the breast was, was silver, the, uh, uh, the midsection was uh, bronze, and the, the legs were iron, uh, what God shows us about these uh, uh, nations, uh, kingdoms, are that they're just beasts. And uh, in fact, when you consider Babylon and Medo-Persia and uh, Greece or Macedonia and, of course, Rome, from the standpoint of, of, of the prophetic uh, coming to pass, as it did with with Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon and and Darius and Cyrus's uh, Medo-Persian Empire and Alexander's Greek Greek Empire and uh, and of course the Roman Empire with all the Caesars, as it were. It was all about conquering. It was all about taking over. It was all about destroying, to be in control and in charge. Of, of all what, what was the known world at the time. But Daniel wants understanding. He really wants to know what is being given to him. So we find him here in verse 15 of our text in Daniel 7. We find him troubled. It says, I, I Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, in the midst of my body. Now that's a very interesting statement that Daniel makes. He was grieved in his spirit, in the midst of his body. And, and what, what that does kind of point out to us is how independent the spirit is from the body. Though we are made tripartite creatures in Christ, you know, in other words, spirit, soul, and body. Remember, of course, that... Um, when, when man sinned, you know, the, the, the spiritual part was dead. We were alive physically. We had a, a mental understanding, mental assent to things, but our spiritual life was dead. In Daniel, we have a man who knew God. He was a man who was alive by God's grace to serve him. And so here Daniel is saying, you know, I was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, the spirit like a sword, the body like a sheath. That, that, that was the word that was actually used for the body. So just an interesting 
thing to understand about our own personal makeup. Though our, 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 our body sometimes is, is, uh, is affected by the things that we deal with in life, you know. Uh, nonetheless, there, there is this uh, time when the body could be down, but the spirit is much alive. So uh, think about it in those terms as well. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by. Now this I'll explain later, but, but we're dealing with the, the angels or the messengers that, that are used by God to, to bring these visions or, or dreams and understanding of them to Daniel and to others, of course, but to Daniel in particular. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and he made me know the interpretation of the things, the things that he had seen. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. Now, as he saw that uh, vision and dream, of course, he saw this, uh, this, this lion with, with uh, eagle's wings. He, he then saw that um, bear that represented Medo-Persia. The lion, of course, represented Babylon. Uh, Medo-Persia was represented by this bear that stood up on one side. Uh, then he saw the Grecian Empire, which had four heads. It was a leopard that had four heads and wings. And uh, then, of course, uh, the unspeakable uh, beast, of, uh, which was, uh, represents the, the Roman uh, kingdom. So these great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. We're, we're getting a lot of this. This is kind of repetitious, uh, so follow along and, and bear with me. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. And we'll stop there to begin. And as we begin our study in the last half of chapter 7 now, we find Daniel, as I said, troubled. But that what it tells us is Daniel was in a very human condition. Daniel's humanity was coming forth. You know, we, we've, we've looked at Daniel now from the beginning as a man of God, and he was. He was a young man of God. Now he's an old man of God, but he's still a man of God. And he still serves the Lord. But this, this, this lets us in on, on the fact that we, you know, he's very much like us. That when there are things that we don't understand, we are troubled by them. We're grieved by them. And if we know that God is in control of all things, but there are troubling things that are given to us that we can't understand, we really go to the Lord for that understanding. Because we know that there's no other place to go. And Daniel is wanting to understand this. And so here, here in his own humanness, he was not unlike Nebuchadnezzar when faced with the ominous dreams and visions given to him by God. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar received the dreams and visions uh, from God. But Daniel was troubled and disturbed by his own dreams and visions, not to mention he was unsure of what it all meant. And in spite of the fact that there was a victorious conclusion to his dream, how many times have we already seen in these four weeks that we've looked at this passage that the Lord keeps insisting on, on letting us know that there's victory in all of this? That the kingdom is really going to be God's and we're going to be with God's kingdom if we believe and if we trust in Him. 
So in spite of the fact that there's this victorious conclusion that's already been given, he was probably distressed over the suffering the future might hold for his own people, Israel. The people of Israel today have that very same concern. And we have been seeing that very clearly in the news today. While many people on our, in our own country, the, the, the one country that has been backing Israel for, uh, you know, since 1948 when, when uh, Israel became a, a, a nation, a modern, modern Israel. Many of us who, who have believed in, in the Word of God and the prophetic uh, outlook of the Word of God, we, we realize that Israel is not there by accident. It's not there uh, just to throw us off. God is going to finish His dealings with Israel because He loves Israel. They're His people. And so He has this word for them and they need to trust Him. (laughs) But many are distressed over the way the nations today are looking at them. People are there saying, oh, listen, you know, the, the, the Israelis are spying on, on the U.S. because we're having dealings with Iran. Well, good for them. Because their very, their, their very existence and their need to survive demands that they know what's going on in the world. So that's modern, but I mean, these things that we're seeing here over thousands of years ago is pointing to this very time. But Daniel was more specifically distraught and flustered by his inability to understand the meaning of several details of his dream. You ever been flustered by dreams? I, you know, I mean, I try to figure them out sometimes. I, I, you know, I don't dream a lot, but I, well, everybody, they say we all dream, but we don't remember every, everything we dream. I, I don't know about that. But we can get flustered, you know. We, we have some, you know, kind of, some kind of weird dream that, you know, you find yourself at some circus and you're the clown. You know, but you got to try to figure that one out, you know. You try to ask somebody, you know, what does that mean? You say, well, you just, you know, you're just, uh, you're insecure. You know, clowns are insecure, you know, whatever. Uh, we, we have not to try to figure all those things out. <laughs> but he was distraught because he saw these things and it relate, you know, he, he, he primarily was wondering about that fourth empire, as we'll see in our text. Daniel then mentions a detail that he had not mentioned before, and that was that he approached what, were, what are more than likely angels or messengers, and he asked one of them to explain some of the puzzling details of the dreams and the visions. So let me, let me interject here that this angel may be, and I, I truly believe it is, but it may be Gabriel. We've all heard of a, the angel Gabriel, right? Well, that it may be Gabriel who will be mentioned actually by name in chapter 8 and chapter 9, and he appears actually to be an angel in charge of making announcements. In fact, I want you to consider, if you will, two important announcements that this angel makes. So these are the the places where where Gabriel is mentioned. He's mentioned Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 8, and Daniel chapter 9. But then I want you to to turn to Luke chapter 1, the Gospel of Luke. Go to the New Testament and look at Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to lay this out now so that when we get to chapters 8 and 9, we'll, we'll realize that more than likely, this angel that he goes to is, in fact, the angel Gabriel. 
But as you get to, to chapter 1 of Luke, we are, going to be, we are going to see this passage that deals with the birth or the, the promise of the birth of John the Baptist. Now, I, I wanted to bring this up tonight because we've been talking about John the Baptist on Sunday morning in the Gospel of John. That is the Gospel of John the Apostle writing about John the Baptist. Zacharias was John's father, and he was an older man, and he was a priest. And the priests were given opportunities at times to be the ones who could come in uh, to uh, light the altar of incense or or to, to tend to the altar of incense. It was his turn for this to happen, to go into the temple and, and, and into the that, that place where he could light the uh, uh, the altar of incense, or, or, or tend to it. So in verse 11 it says, And there appeared unto him, Zacharias, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Now I want you to know that when you see an angel, you're not going to sit there and go, Wow, an angel, man, cool. This is all right. Hey. No, for some reason, great fear came upon Zacharias. But the angel said unto him, Fear not. Now take note of that. The angel says, Don't fear, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Elizabeth was barren, but no longer. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Remember what John the Baptist's calling was to prepare people for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Notice that he says that he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. What was the question that the priest asked him? Are you Elijah? And he said no. But he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife, well stricken in years. Kind of sounds like Abraham and Sarah, doesn't it? And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel. By the way, it's interesting. The name Gabriel means man of God. Geber El, or God. El is God. That stand in the presence of God. Here is one who stands in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. But there he announces his name. And so here's an angel that makes announcements. But not only to Zacharias, a few verses later, he makes an announcement to a very young Mary. In verse 26, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. 
And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled. What did she see? She saw the angel and was troubled. Have you, have you ever heard of, of people that, you know, they, they, they've talked about the angel of death or something like that, you know. The angel, oh, is it my time? That could possibly be what was going on. Every time an angel showed up, I don't know what an angel looks like. You know, a lot of people draw them with wings and all kinds of other stuff. There are some cherubim or, or seraphim that are mentioned in Scripture that are mentioned with wings, and also that's where the idea comes. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, by the way, for one, one place. But, but it, nonetheless, she was troubled at, at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Well, I mean, what is he saying? And the angel said unto Mary, or to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Yeshua, Jesus he shall be called, or he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, I used all of these verses to introduce Gabriel, but I also did it to introduce to you the fact that the kingdom that we're talking about in Daniel is the very same kingdom that was prophesied of Jesus to Mary. The very same kingdom. So these are in all different stories. All the stories or all the accounts of the scriptures are all tied together from Genesis to Revelation, you see. Everything is tied together. But Gabriel plays a part in making these announcements. And this was a very grave and important announcement to to this young Mary. And of course to Zacharias. By the way, Zacharias just couldn't believe that it was going to happen. So the angel said, oh, by the way, you're not going to speak for a while. So, you know, he had to write all his messages in, in papers so he could tell everybody, hey, this is what's going on. Name him John. <laughs> okay, we're going to meet Gabriel again in chapters 8 and 9. But the angel to whom Daniel spoke gave him a general reply. We'll call him Gabriel. Gabriel gave him a general reply indicating that the four beasts, now getting back to Daniel and the beast, indicating that the four beasts represented the successive world empires that would dominate the Middle East. Dominate the Middle East until the last days. Now, I'm going to stress that right now, but I'm going to explain it as we go. But he added that the ultimate sovereignty over the world would be granted to the saints of the Most High. Did you all see that in the text that we just read in Daniel? To the saints of the Most High. Now, please understand that it is the Most High Himself, the Lord God, who would ultimately establish His kingdom and rule forever. What we saw that the angel said to Mary is that Jesus would come and He would rule in His kingdom forever and ever. But I want you to consider something. Turn to Revelation chapter 1, if you will. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Some of this is kind of review to our study of the book of Revelation and our continuing connection between Revelation and the book of Daniel. 
But Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 say, And from Jesus Christ, and let me get there, there it is, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, it says, And the prince of the kings of the earth. You all see that? I have it underlined here. The prince of the kings of the earth. Now, the word prince there means ruler. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And notice this in verse 6, and has made us kings and priests. Now the proper understanding of that phrase, kings and priests, is that we are going to be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. Because in reality, there's only one king. And we know that. So the understanding is that we, he's going to make us a kingdom of priests unto God and his Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So it is to Him, the Lord God, and of course our Lord Jesus Christ, that all the glory is to be given. Now if you go from the beginning of Revelation to the end of Revelation, go to chapter 20. It's not quite the very end, but it's almost the end. But in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, notice what it says there. Because it says, Blessed and holy is He that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ. So this clarifies what I just said about being priests. We who are in the church today will come with the Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign with Him, but we, our function will be as priests. So it says, But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him for a thousand years. Now, the reason for emphasizing the participation of God's people in the final kingdom, is to make clear that a literal earthly kingdom will replace the previous empires of man. What have have we been seeing in this whole chapter? And a few times we've been told this. Here are four beasts, ugly beasts, ravaging beasts, vicious beasts, but then the Lord's going to come and He's going to set up His own kingdom. He's going to destroy these kingdoms and set up His own, and then that kingdom will be forever and ever. Again, listen, the emphasis is on the participation of God's people in the final kingdom to make clear that a literal earthly kingdom will replace the previous empires of man rather than just being a spiritual domain, as it were. And as I've said before, if if, if you notice uh, many times you might run into people who, who say, well, all of the stuff in the book of Revelation and the prophets and all of this, eventually it's just spiritual talk. It's just spiritual things. All of the prophecies have already been fulfilled. That's called preterism. It's all been done already. So they don't look at, at Israel today as being a part of God's plan. In fact, a lot of the people who believe in Uh, replacement theology look at Israel as the enemy. They look at Israel as the oppressors. But until you go to Israel, you can't, you, you, you have to, you have to understand that that, that's just a false and, and heretical teaching. So, what we, what we as, as, as believers in, in Jesus Christ and believers in the Word of God are saying is, look, there is a literal kingdom that is being spoken about here. Because these nations all are literal nations that he's talked about. Historically, Babylon has existed. As a matter of fact, when we went into Iraq uh, a few years ago, a number of years ago, 
in one of the first uh, uh, Gulf Wars, I mean, they began to discover that there were archaeological digs already discovering the old cities of Babylon and other cities around there and the, and the, and the temples of people like Nebuchadnezzar and all. So all of these things are coming out because they were true then and so the prophecies are true about what is yet to come. So it isn't just a spiritual domain that people are saying, you know, it's just a spiritual thing. No, 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 it's real. So, as we said, we've identified the the first three kingdoms already, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece, or Macedonia. But what about the fourth dreadful curiosity of a beast? What kingdom does it represent? Well, let's go on. Let's go to chapter uh, 7, verse 19 of our text. Because then Daniel continues, and he says, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other, the, the small little horn, the eleventh horn, the other which came up and before whom three fell, three of those kingdoms fell. Even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things. We've already seen this mentioned before. Now we're seeing it again. And a mouth that spake very great things. Whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints. And prevailed against them. This is a very important verse we're going to talk about in, in just a moment. Until, notice this again, the victory. Until the Ancient of Days came the ancient of days of course being almighty god and judgment was given to the saints of the most high and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom so once again we're given that that picture here are the beasts here are the nations here are the the kingdoms that are going to rise up and then this one comes out of them destroys some of them and takes over dominion But when that happens, then the Lord comes with his saints and then the kingdom is established. So, it was that fourth beast that caused Daniel all that anxiety, all that consternation and disquietedness, simply because it resembled no animal known to human existence. Again, here was a lion with eagle's wings but it was a lion and the wings were wings of a bird you know and then there was a bear even though it stood on two feet this way it uh, was still a bear you know and even though the leopard had four heads it was still a leopard but this beast the fourth beast as i said to you last time everybody kind of draws it like a dinosaur or something or some kind of vicious thing Daniel was, uh, I mean, he was, he was disquieted. Once again, we're told how this fourth empire mutilates, pulverizes, you know, the iron teeth and the, you know, the nails of brass and all. It was the pulverizing of the entire earth. Daniel was certainly concerned, especially about the statement made in verse 21. The verse I said we need to look at. The same horn, it says, made war 
with the saints and prevailed against them. Notice what it says. So now we say, okay, saints, who are these saints? Because we hear and, and, and read, you know, in the, in the New Testament, uh, time and time again, and, and Paul emphasizes it a lot at the beginning of his letters when he writes to the saints of a certain city or to the saints of the church. And the saints, of course, being the, the, the believers in Jesus Christ. Living people, by the way. Living people. People who are alive in Christ. Saints just means people set apart unto God. Set apart unto God. So to think immediately that, uh, that the mention of saints automatically refers to the church is actually rushing to a misleading interpretation. Generally speaking, as I said, saints are literally called out and separated ones, set apart for God. That's what the word saint comes, the, the, the root word, or it comes from the root word that means to be set apart or to be separated, which would certainly include those who are of the body of Christ the church. As I said, in the New Testament, there was a reference to the saints as being believers in Jesus Christ. But remember, in our study of the book of Revelation, that the church as a body of believers is not mentioned beyond chapter 4, which focuses on the events then of the tribulation period, and that being the extent of the seven years of tribulation that are yet to come. So believers mentioned after chapter 4, because we believe that at, at, at chapter 4, the church is taken out of the way through the rapture of the church. But believers mentioned after chapter 4 are usually called tribulation saints. People that come to, to the knowledge of Christ, they come and receive Christ and commit their lives to Christ during the time of the tribulation. Well, they fit a, a different criterion. That group would also include a Jewish remnant of believers during the tribulation period as pointed out in Revelation chapter 12. Now if you remember Revelation chapter 12, uh, John gives us this picture of this dragon, of course being Satan, and then a beast, which is the Antichrist. And, 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 uh, but, but there's a mention of a woman being, of course, uh, in reference to Israel. So we, we, we learned all of that stuff then, but here's one verse in, in Revelation 12, verse 17 to tie into where we're at right now in our text. In Revelation 12, 17, it says, And the dragon was wroth, which means he was angry uh, with the woman, being Israel, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. There's the remnant of the, the seed of Israel which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So what that's telling us is that there is going to be a remnant in Israel of people who are believers in God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they have come to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you this, those are, for those of us that have been to Israel, and we, we just got back, back in January, went and came back, uh, more and more, as, as our guide Yuval, who, who's, uh, who's a believer, uh, he's a Jewish believer in, in Jesus, is saying more and more people are coming to the knowledge of, of, of Jesus Christ as their Messiah. More and more. Not in droves, but little by little, but nonetheless. Uh, and, and this is fulfilled prophecy, fulfilled scripture. 
If you go to the next chapter, Revelation 13, verse 7, it says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints, that be, being the Antichrist. It was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So, who are the saints here? And, of course, when we studied this, that had to be the tribulation saints and the remnant of the seed, which is Israel, or believers of Jesus Christ with the testimony of Jesus in Israel. And to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So it wasn't just in Israel, but then again, it was a worldwide, uh, global type of uh, uh, of a dictatorship in, in Antichrist, which we'll talk about even more in chapters 8 and 9 of Daniel. So, during the tribulation then, the Antichrist will be able to prevail against the believers. This is, this is what we're, be, we're, we're being told here. To overcome them. You all see that. I just want you to make sure that you see it. We're told in Daniel that, the, that he's going to prevail against the saints. In Revelation, he's going to overcome the saints. Who are the saints? In this particular, uh, in this particular context, tribulation saints in the Jewish remnant. But let me say that it is not ultimately that he destroys them. He doesn't destroy them ultimately. What was Hitler's goal with his final solution. The goal was to wipe Jews off the face of the earth. Completely and totally. But it didn't happen. And from the ashes of the Holocaust, the modern state of Israel was born. Do you understand how God's hand was in all of that? Because it could have been very well been possible. Down through the ages, how many times have we seen people, uh, even in Scripture, the book of Esther, Haman, who was a, a, a forerunner of Hitler, who was a forerunner of Antichrist, you know, wanting to destroy the Jews, time and time again. Revelation 12 is exactly that same picture. The dragon waiting for the woman to give birth to a child. Messiah. So not ultimately will the Antichrist prevail against the saints, the saints, the tribulation saints, the remnant. Because in Revelation 17 verse 12 it says, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. Now, I mentioned that to go down to verse 14, kind of tied in together so you'll know who's involved. These shall make war with the Lamb. Now, who's the Lamb? Yeshua, Jesus. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. Who does the Lamb overcome? The nations that come against Him and Israel. For he is Lord of Lord, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So, with that in mind, now we look to something that Jesus said to Math. I'm sorry, said to Peter in Matthew, and I made reference of this the other day on, on, on Sunday morning. About Peter who is the rock, right? Well, look at what Matthew 16 verse 18 says at the end. It says, And I say unto thee, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, Petros, 
And upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church. The rock of Peter's confession. What was the rock? What was the Peter? What was Peter's confession? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember the question that Jesus asked the disciples, Who do men say that I am? And then he turned it right to them and said, Who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who said, You are the Christ. You are the Mashiach, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock I will build my church. Different. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So when we see something mentioned where there is some prevailing going on, it isn't the church. So remember that, going back to our text in Daniel 7. So now the desire of Daniel to know and to understand more about this vision is is granted to him. It is granted to him. Let's look at verses 23 through 25 of our text now. And thus he said, the angel here, Gabriel, saying to Daniel, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Again, notice the perspective that God gives us of the nations. And think of nations today that have one desire, and that is to to rule, to destroy, to take over, other lands and other nations to sweep them up. But nothing like this. Nothing like this. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall arise after them. And he, notice not a, not a nation, but a he, he shall be diverse from the first and he shall subdue three kings. Now, We've talked about this already, so we're not going to cover it tonight. But, but the important thing is, here's that 11th small little horn, which is different than the others. And here's what makes him different. He shall speak great words against the Most High. Another mention of his pomposity. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. Whoa. That's an interesting thing that we'll talk about here in a moment. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Do you know what that is? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. It is in the midst of the seven-year period called the tribulation period that we studied in the book of Revelation. The very midst of that, the the beginning of the the second three and a half years of that seven-year period, when the man of sin, the Antichrist, will be revealed. So what we have in these three verses, 23, 24, and 25, is another recap. We keep recapping here. We're going over the same material, but why is God doing that? How many times have I said that repetition is the greatest teacher? The more that, you know, it gets ingrained in us, you know, the more we'll remember what the Word of God is saying. So in this explanation, the prophet was told that the fourth beast 
represented a fourth kingdom. We already knew that, but it's okay. We're still learning. This beast or kingdom would itself trample down the kingdoms of the world in its ascendancy and domination to world power. Now keep in mind these two words, ascendancy and domination to world power. Because there is a word for this. The word is hegemony. H-E-G-E-M-O-N-Y. Hegemony. Some people pronounce it hegemony, but it's hegemony. I've checked it. About five times today, just checked it. I always believed it was hegemony, but, uh, you know, okay. It's not hegemony. But hegemony means ascendancy, predominance, domination, sovereignty, or taking hold of sovereignty. Dominating completely. And it's, it's a word, listen, it is a word I have heard used on news programs more than one time. Let me just say a few times, and the next time I probably listen to some more reports on this, we can say many times, but it's a word that I've, used, I've heard used on news programs more than once in referring to a group known as ISIS. You all know who ISIS is, right? We're not talking about some Egyptian goddess. We're talking about this Islamic terroristic organization. That's what it is. You have to name it for what it is. And they are wanting to establish once again the caliphate that was taken away back in 1923. The last caliphate. And and again, this was, as, as we studied in the book of Revelation, this was prophecy fulfilled that the caliphate was taken away in 1923. And again, a lot of that was, of course, making way for the, for the, um, the existence of the state of Israel in, in 1948, so just a few years later. So think about that. When you, when you think of, of what all of this is all about, this ascendancy and domination to world power, what is in the mind today of, of the radical Islamist, and I don't mean just some offshoot organization, because Al-Qaeda is very organized, ISIS is very organized, and surprisingly, and it won't be in, in, some, in some news media, but in, 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 in some barely mentioned, but the supporters for these particular kinds of groups, uh, groups Boko Haram, uh, down in Africa as well, who's now tied into ISIS or has sought to be tied into, all of these together, think about this. They have the same desire, world domination for Allah. World domination. And we, th- we, 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 we sit back thinking, oh, well, you know, they're over there. They're here. Anybody remember what happened on September 11, 2001? And what we've, have, what we've been having to, uh, to deal with, with, with Homeland Security and all kinds of security, which I don't know what we're doing today about it, but we, we, you know, there, there have been 
we just we we just went back into complacency as a nation. And we care we care more about the color of dresses. You see that about a month ago they were talking about what color is this dress? Who cares? The problem is one of these days those all dresses are going to be red. Do you understand what I'm saying? We put so much attention on stupidity and stupid things. When all of these, you know, we have to live life and we go on. It's okay. But the thing is we need to be ready by being awake and alert to what's going on in this world to make our prayers right before God. Lord Jesus, whatever you're doing, we know that you're still in control. But we don't want our minds to wander into all kinds of areas away from what is really significant and what is really uh, important in, in our lives and the protection of our country and the protection of our family and all, and all of that. So anyway, I can go on and on, but I, I, I don't have much time. The angel's answer that he gives to Daniel centers on the career of the little horn, that little horn, that 11th horn, which we can call the lawless one, the son of perdition, and I want to take you back to Second Thessalonians for just a moment. I say take you back as we studied it not too long ago. The Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. Because here it says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, an apostasy, uh, a falling away. And that man of sin be revealed. So he's the man of sin, the son of perdition, the same horn that we're talking about, Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself above and all that is called God. Opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. The very same characteristics that can be given to a, a, uh, um, a return of, of Allah in the form of the 12th imam, if you've done some study on the imams, or the 12th imam, I should say, uh, that one particular part of Islam holds to. Uh, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So eventually, his, you know, the Antichrist is going to wow the whole world in those first three and a half years, allow the temple to be built on the temple mount again, and so on and so forth. And then at the very middle of the three of the seven year period, three and a half years into his particular. Uh, uh, rule or reign, as it were, he becomes revealed like no other has been revealed. Not even like Hitler, even worse. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withholds or, or restrains that he might be revealed in his time. The Holy Spirit has been restraining but won't restrain until the time, or will restrain until the time of the Antichrist. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now lets or restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. Again, the Holy Spirit will be taken, in the sense, out of the way when the church is taken out of the way. So that influence of the church, the Spirit of God through the church will be removed. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, Praise the Lord for that. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So it is interesting that when you go back to verse 23 of our text, uh, 
So this is just, again, the, the Second Thessalonians, the description, a, a more full description from the New Testament of, of, of this Antichrist. But it's interesting that in verse 23 of our text, going back to Daniel 7, there's a phrase there. It says, the whole earth. You all see that? The whole earth. Make sure you see it, because I want you to see what it says. The whole earth. Uh, verse 23. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth. You all see it now? Okay. So I want to make sure, because you know, some of you are saying this, but you're not looking at your Bible. So I, okay. <laughs> so the phrase the whole earth in Hebrew is kol ara. Kol ara. K-O-L. Ara. A-R-A. And it refers not to all parts of the inhabited earth, but rather, listen, it refers, this is interesting, it refers to the entire territory or region of the Near and Middle East. Now stop to think about what we've been saying over the last couple of years in our study of Revelation and Daniel and First and Second Thessalonians and any prophetic books that we've been touching upon. I've been giving you this this alternative view that uh, the ten kings or the ten nations that are mentioned as the horns, everybody wants them to be on the western side of the Roman Empire. But in fact, the strongest part of the Roman Empire was the eastern part of the Roman Empire where we find all these nations that surround Israel. When you think of ISIS, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, but ISIS and ISIL, that, that crescent uh, er, territory that includes Syria and Lebanon and, and it swings all the way down to Saudi Arabia and all the way down to Egypt. ISIL, they call it as well, the Levant. This, this is what that area is called. You know what's at the center of it, right on the Mediterranean? Israel. That is a calculated thing for them to call themselves ISIS. Because they're going to sweep, their idea and their thought and their desire is to sweep Israel and really destroy the people and take over the land. Who has prepared the land as God said they would? Who has made it fruitful? Who has made it a place of beauty? The people that God put back in there. And the enemies of Israel all want to destroy them because they want that. But when they had it, they made it desolate. It is weird, isn't it? But that's what's happening. So in the, in the Old Testament usage of the term kol ara, it is really dealing with the, the, that area of the world. So this would be the portion of the world included within the Roman Empire, primarily, as I said, the eastern portion, and devouring all of the surrounding nations bite by bite. How is ISIS working today? Bite by bite by bite. And I'm not saying that ISIS is really the whole of this, of, of this, uh, uh, of this movement, but let, let me just say, let me just say that uh, as I was saying, that they're not; these are not just splinter groups, you know, trying to start something up. They are well-funded, well-funded by nations like Iran and Turkey. Enough said. 
do your research, you'll find that <laughs> they aren't as they seem by what you see. Well, Iran, yes, but uh, you know, Turkey kind of sits in a precarious position because they, they were once an ally of Israel. They're no longer an ally. They were once a very open uh, society, even though it was considered mostly Muslim, but now it's really taken on more of the Muslim view. And if you get into the head of the, the president of Turkey, uh, Erdogan, I believe is his last name, uh, you know, you, you realize he is really ra- more radical than he professes to be. So these are things that we have to look at. But the little horn, as the final world dictator, would be tantamount actually to, to a Hitler who was deified by many people during his own reign of terror. I, I've seen uh, videos, maybe, maybe some of you have as well, that after Hitler took over in, in Germany, that uh, the school children were actually taught songs that, uh, that they sang about him that made him seem like God. Uh, in other words, they, they could have just replaced certain songs that were for Jesus, and now they sang them to Hitler. And, that, and that's the way it was with, with him. But, but nonetheless... It made Hitler really a forerunner of Antichrist in many facets of character and behavior. For example, when we when we talk about the description of of, uh, of uh, uh, the Antichrist here in, in Daniel, eyes of a man. We talked about this before. Eyes of a man, intelligence, boastful, pompous, and arrogant, charismatic. Yes, a person with the ability to charm the socks off of the people of the world to the point of them worshiping him. But consider also his propensity to persecute the saints. And I, and I, will, I will say this right now. If we do not have a, an anger over what's happening in certain parts of the world, there in that particular part of the world where Christians are being killed and beheaded, and as world leaders not standing up to say that this is enough and do something about it, you are as much doing what they're doing. By letting it happen. You understand what I'm saying on that, on that particular point? As a nation, we're in trouble here. We try to be so politically correct. And these things are just going to bury us as a nation. Consider his propensity to to persecute the saints. This is exactly what the Antichrist is going to do. But what are these Antichrists? Remember that John said the the spirit of Antichrist is already here? Something that may seem atrocious at present, but will be accepted by many more in years to come, in days to come maybe, months to come. And by the way, Israel will also be under Antichrist control. Something that we don't want to consider, but look at this. Zechariah 13, verse 8. It shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. That's yet to happen. Some people said, no, that already happened. It happened in a, in a near fulfillment to warn the people. It will happen again because we're dealing with the very same time frame. If you go on to uh, Zechariah chapter 14, the next chapter it says, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, 
and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished and half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. In other words, the remnant is not going to be cut off from the city. If you read on in that chapter, that's when you see Jesus come and his feet are land on the Mount of Olives and then he goes through the gate, the eastern gate, and he establishes his kingdom. He destroys the Antichrist. And then he rules and reigns in Jerusalem. But first, this has to happen, you see. And then consider in verse 25 of our text, the statement made about Antichrist, where he says, where it says, and, and think to change the times and the laws. I mean, we've got people around today that want to change the times and the laws. People are changing laws around us all the time, especially moral laws. Think about that for just a moment. Go back to Daniel chapter 2, verses, verses 20 and 21. Because in Daniel 2, 20 and 21, it says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. Notice what it says. That he changes the times and the seasons. God alone is the one who changes the times and the seasons. No one else can. No one else should even try. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. But it is so significant that today we we see people trying with all of their power to change laws, especially moral laws, that have been established for centuries, if not millennia. And the Word of God has been at the very foundation of the laws that are to keep us in good stead with one another. But one day a person will change laws in an attempt to mimic God and to rule the world as God. But God, He is not. And as we close this chapter, it tells us in verses 26 to 28, but the judgment shall sit and they shall take away His dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. We already know what the end is going to be for Antichrist, for the false prophet, and for Satan himself. We already know that. It's been prophesied. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Remember why it keeps saying it's given to the people? Because, you see, one kingdom will replace all others. And there will be a kingdom on this earth. And it says, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Notice how it ends. Him, not them. Him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. In other words, we've reached the end of this matter with his dream. With his dream. As for, my, as for me, Daniel, my... My cogitations, which means my thoughts, much troubled me and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. He didn't say anything anymore. He just kept the matter in his heart. You know, when we keep matters in our hearts, we're saying, you know what, I don't understand fully, but I'm going to wait because God knows. And God knows what he's going to do, and he's going to do it better than I could ever try to figure him out. It's clear that a great day of judgment and destruction on the Antichrist Empire and on the whole wicked world will usher in the seating of the Son of Man on the throne of absolute sovereignty 
and the commencement of the fifth kingdom administered by his faithful believers. We will rule and reign with him, but we will be a kingdom of priests. What happens then also? All rebellious elements will be subdued. Also observe that a clear difference is made, as I said, between the saints and the singular hymn in the final clause of verse 27. All all dominions shall serve and obey him. The words applied to the Son of Man are not applicable to a finite human being. They apply only to Jesus Christ. Hence, there is no possibility to equate the nation of saints with the Son of Man. And so the last verse, verse 28, suggests the emotional strain and drain on Daniel that were a direct result of his being in the presence of the Lord's supernatural messenger, Gabriel, feeling most intensely his weakness, his own weakness and inadequacy as a mortal human being, much like Isaiah. When in Isaiah 6, verse 5, when he sees this vision that God gives him, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of, the un- of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Daniel just kept the information in his own heart and waited to see what would come to pass. And many times we too must do the same. God's word points to the events that will be taking place, but many times we must be patient and wait to see how God is going to do what he said in his word. For you see, the victory was already won at Calvary. The victory was won on Calvary. And the Lord is coming back to take back what he already purchased with his blood and to set up his righteous kingdom on this earth. I want to leave you with one last verse from Revelation, the last chapter, verse 20. Revelation 22. He which testify these things saith, Surely I am come quickly. Surely I come quickly, amen. Even so, our prayer is, Come, Lord Jesus. That should be our prayer. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly. Let's pray. Father, it is indeed our prayer tonight that you would come to gather us together as you said you would when you said that you would go to prepare a place for us and that you would return and gather us together so that we would be with you so that wherever you are, we would be also where you are. But until then, Lord God, we ask for wisdom and grace. We ask for understanding, Lord God, and your mercy so that we can continue to live for you. So we can continue, Lord God, to understand your word. And and Lord, know that in spite of what we see on the TV or what we see in the news or or what we hear uh, happening in this world, and Lord, this this world is in, in a tremendous upheaval. Time and again, every day, some, some strange, weird things are happening, you know, just whether, whether in the physical sense, uh, uh, meteorologically, or, or what's happening even in our own neighborhoods, uh, the crime rates and the, the, the hatred that, that's being spread so much around, or, or, or the many different kinds of accidents where people are just dying out of freak accidents, or planes crashing in, 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 in mountainous regions in Europe, and people losing their lives. So times, things are just happening, Lord God, and in rapid succession. And, 
All of these things are to warn us and to awaken us to the fact that you're coming soon. So help us to be ready for that, Lord. Help us to be ready for that day. We trust you, Lord. We trust you with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. But I pray, Father, you bring comfort to the hearts of those who are just struggling to understand what's going on. Just like Daniel struggled to understand, but he, but he was given a good word. And you've given us your good word to comfort us. We thank you for that. And so, Lord, tonight we pray, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and, and do your work. Until then, Lord, use us for your glory. Use us for your kingdom. Use us for the good of others and your glory always. May it, may it always be established in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.